0: If you attended our in-person study a couple of weeks ago, you heard me talk about, well, my love for the rap group, Run the Jewels, and how they just dropped their fourth album a month ahead of time because of what was happening in America. Now, RTJ is not a Christian group, nowhere close to that. And in fact, they have some songs that are very close to being anti-Christian, partly because they have seen how Christianity has been weaponized to promote racism which is a very true thing. But the title of my sermon comes from a song called Walking in the Snow from their latest album, which is explicit. And I will definitely, I will, I'm going to say the lyrics uh, into context by reading the uh, the context of the sermon title from the with the words written by Killer Mike. Um, and I will definitely try to bleep the explicit words. Uh, so here's the lyrics. The way I see it, you're probably the freest from the ages one to four. Around the age of five, you're shipped away for your body to be stored. They promise education, but really they give you tests and scores. And they predict in prison populations by who's scoring the lowest. And usually the lowest scores, the poorest, and they look like me. And every day on the news, they feed your fear for free. And you so numb, you watch the cops choke out a man like me until my voice goes from a shriek to the whisper, I can't breathe and you sit there in your house on the couch and watch it on tv the most you give is a twitter rant and call it a tragedy but truly a travesty is you've been robbed of your empathy you replaced it with apathy i wish i could magically fast forward the future uh so then you could face it and see how f word up it would be i promise i'm honest they come in for you the day after they come in for me i'm reading chomsky i read Bukowski. i'm laying low for a week I said something on behalf of my people and I popped up on WikiLeaks. Thank God I'm covered. The devil's come smothered and you know that evil don't sleep. Dick Gregory told me a couple of secrets before he laid down in his grave. All of us served the same masters. All of us nothing but slaves. Never forget in the story of Jesus, the hero was killed by the state. Now, I could probably do some good exegetical work explaining on all of these different lyrics and the different parts and what they mean. Uh, but I do feel you kind of get what Killer Mike is trying to get at. And this is actually very close to what Jesus is confronting at the end of this gospel. He's encountering a system that when he challenges it, instead of uh, instead of confronting the system in itself doing some introspection and probably some of the evils that have been created by it, either intentionally or unintentionally, they choose to discredit it. They will harass Jesus and eventually kill Jesus. I have often thought that I should do a podcast where I go through non-Christian songs and talk about how they're connected to a Christian story, but who has time for that? Well, we're getting to the end of our human Bible study, and we only have a couple of chapters left, and in fact, we after this sermon, we only have two, but really only one and a half, because chapter 16 has some really interesting history to it. If we're getting near the end of the Bible study that means we're nearing the end of the story of Christ and well today we go through the trial of Christ a trial that once again just seems to have a bit of divine appointment with what we're experiencing in today's culture so let's get into it we ended last week we have Judas walking up to Jesus and well Jesus saying here comes my betrayer and Judas walks up and gives him the kiss of betrayal and Jesus actually has a very interesting comment that I wanted to dialogue on a bit How come you have come with swords and clubs to arrest me, like an outlaw? But day after day I was with you, teaching in the temple, but you didn't arrest me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. A couple of sermons ago, I talked about how effective nonviolence resistance can be because violent resistance needs counter-pressure in order for it to keep the moral victory. When nonviolent individual changes the narrative, it removes the narrative of violent Resistance, which is usually used by the violent side to justify their own actions. Jesus is trying to tell them plainly, why do you come to me prepared for a fight? Just when days ago I was walking among you. The people coming to arrest Jesus are trying to set forth a certain narrative that Jesus was a criminal and it was going to take a posse to round him up. They're trying to set a narrative that Jesus is kind of calling out. He just knew that his nonviolent resistance was going to be met with a very violent end, but he also knew that the violent end was needed in order to expose a violent system. A peaceful man who earlier this week was greeted as cries of Hosanna is now being rounded up like a violent criminal. The first shall become last. Christ, who had equality with God, humbled himself to the place of a servant. Now, interesting to note, which is the weirdest thing to note. Uh, No one actually knows what verse 51 and 52 mean and why Mark included it in his Gospels. For those who didn't read about it or did not read the scriptures ahead of time or do not know Mark 14, 51, 52 at the top of your head, it's about a man who is wearing a loincloth at the time that Jesus was apprehended and all of a sudden drops the loincloth and runs away as soon as Christ is arrested. And for whatever reason, this man felt the best way to express his emotion was to get naked and run away. I do hope that this is the appropriate response that when you see Jesus getting captured. And perhaps that is why it's in here. Maybe someday, while I'm preaching about this scripture, someone will get overwhelmed by the Spirit, feel the need to get naked, and run away. Actually, don't do that, please. be no. Some people have suggested that it's actually the writer of the Gospel of Mark that is John Mark, and that he just weirdly had to insert himself in here as the naked, distri- as the naked disciple. And if that is true, that's got to be the one of the weirdest flexes of all time. Like, seriously, one of the weirdest flexes of all time. Okay, so Jesus is arrested and then taken to the courts so that he can be tried on for whatever crimes are going to bring up against him against him and that is actually the hardest part. I think even to this day if you were to go on the streets and ask many Christians what was Jesus charged with, they would answer being the king of the Jews, which isn't the actual charge. It's the name that they give to him uh, on the the board above his crucifixion. The reality is the courts actually didn't know what to charge Jesus with because they didn't care about the charge. All they wanted was Jesus to be killed. They didn't care if a crime was committed. I sometimes actually feel like we treat it this way too. We know that Christ dies for our sins, but we don't pay attention to the corruption that led him here. We don't pay attention to the innocence of Christ and how a system was used against him. And why this is important, because if we don't acknowledge corrupt systems in the gospels, we'll be less likely to acknowledge them here on earth. If we do not pay attention to everything that led up to the death of Christ, And just on the results, we have missed the point. It is important for us to know everything about the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. Jesus was killed because he exposed a system that had manipulated God's goodness into something that benefited the kingdoms of this world, including how this world dealt with sin. Do not get me wrong the importance of atonement of our sins and the innocence of Christ was set from the very beginning for us today. This is foundational to our faith. But what we do need to know and what we need to understand is there is a totality to Christ. He has complete humanness and his complete divinity. Which all leads him to this point, to a trial that he knew he could not pass because he posed too much of a challenge to an established order. We celebrate a God who brought order to chaos, but we also celebrate a God who took order and turned it into divine chaos. And what they eventually find a way to charge Christ with is, uh, they try to bring up this proclamation that he will destroy the temple in three days and rebuild it. And even they can't even get true clarity on this. So they eventually just have to bring up with the idea that he says that he is the son of God. So that they can charge him with heresy. They are charging him for saying that he is the son of God. When obviously his actions show that he is not the son of God. To me, this is irony. And it is not lost. Because we see this happening so many times today. So many times today, we have people persecuting people who are actually acting like Jesus simply because they do not fit into our mold for who we believe Jesus is. And now, I'm going to take a turn into a story that's a bit dark, but I want you to bear with me because it is important witness. This moment that I'm about to walk into is difficult, but I want us to see Christ crucified. And Christ, and even people who are crucified like Christ before us, because they did not fit the mold of who we thought Jesus was supposed to look like. Elijah McCain was a 23-year-old black man who was walking home from the store at night while wearing a mask back on August 24th, 2019. Now today, if we would not even think twice seeing a man walking around wearing a mask on, but this was 2019 it is a bit different. So someone called 911 stating that there was a suspicious, suspicious character walking around wearing a mask, but the person did not seem to be harmful. Did not seem like they were causing any trouble, did not seem like they were dangerous. The Aurora police pull up a suburb right outside of Chicago and approach Elijah, who doesn't understand what is happening. He tries to explain to them that he is anemic and he wears a mask to protect himself from illness. But the cops see his hesitancy as resistance and begin to push him to the ground where Elijah begins to get tense because he doesn't understand what's happening and why he's being thrown to the ground. The police then begin to put him into a chokehold and the cameras catch, the police cameras catch his last words. I can't breathe. I have my ID right here. My name is Elijah McLean. That's my house. I was just going home. I'm an introvert. I'm just different. That's all. I'm so sorry. I have no gun. I don't do that stuff. I don't do any fighting. Why are you attacking me? I don't even kill flies. I don't eat meat. But I don't judge people. I don't judge people who eat meat. Forgive me. All I was trying to do was become better. I will do it. I'll do anything. I'll sacrifice my identity. I'll do it. You're all phenomenal. You are beautiful, and I love you. Try to forgive me. I'm a mood Gemini. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Ow, that really hurts. You're all very strong. Teamwork makes the dream work. Elijah begins to cry. I'm sorry. I wasn't trying to do that. I just can't breathe correctly. And then he begins to throw up because of all the pressure putting put on his chest and his neck. Next, all the police cameras all of a sudden go off at the same time. EMS shows up and the officer says that they need to sedate him because Elijah is hysteric. So they give the 144-pound 144, 144 anemic 23-year-old man a dose of ketamine that was fit for a 220-pound man. Elijah dies from the trauma mixed with the ketamine on his way to the hospital. I wept when I read Elisha's words because they are the words of Christ. When a system raised up to kill Christ, Christ pleaded, forgive them for they do not know what they do. And when the system failed and killed Elijah, he told them that they were beautiful and that he loved them. If we are unwilling to look at the broken and corrupted systems that killed our Savior, how are we going to be able to look at the systems that is broken and, co- and corrupted and killing our black sisters and brothers? If we're going to keep a rigid view on who Christ is supposed to be, we're going to miss the pleas of the Christ before us. We so often look past Christ's suffering before us and only look to a Christ resurrected. I want to say that again for myself, for all of us, We look past the Christ suffering before us and only want to look at the Christ resurrected. We, just like the jailers, beat on the body of Christ, telling it to comply. We spit on the body of Christ and tell it just to do what we ask for it to do. We try to will God into being something more than what it is, or trying to conform God to only being about our personal forgiveness. That is not the whole story of who Christ is, is it? Christ was working to change a system, and some of us choose to deny that system even exists. And Christ is prompting us now to stare into the denial of a system that very much exists before us, and we must be either confronted with our denial, and why, and the reasons why we're denying denying it, for some form of self-preservation. And it's almost poetic that right as Christ at this moment, that right as, Christ, as this moment happens, we are led into the familiar story of Peter. The reality in this story is a reality too familiar for a lot of us. Peter denies Jesus because out of fear, in out of self-preservation. If Peter were to admit that he was a part of what Jesus was doing, if Peter were to admit that he was a follower, then perhaps Peter would meet the same fate. Peter would have to drink from that same cup of bitterness. And you know, as much as I believe we all said that we could, there are many more times than not that we have denied knowing that cup of bitterness was even there. And how do I know this? I know this because I am Peter. I know this because I too have spent so much of my life denying the existence of a system that was broken, whether it be political, social, or religious systems. I've kept my mouth shut. I've closed my eyes because it didn't affect me or maybe out of my own self-preservation. I deny them because Jesus is in the, (laughs) the other room being beaten, but it's not like I'm the one doing the beating. I deny them because I fear that I might be treated like as Jesus is being treated. I deny them because it might affect how people view me or treat me. I deny, I deny, I deny. We deny that cup of suffering of the marginalized, of the least of these. We pass by their cup, like a good, like in the story of the good Samaritan, say it's better for us to not be them. And in this case, we say it to Christ better for him to suffer than me in just a few chapters we were also ready to follow Christ to the end oh lord how many times has this been me So quick to love and so quick to deny, so quick to pledge my life and so quick to forget. How many times do I rededicate my life to you? How many times do I make that New Year's resolution to read my Bible more, to pray more, to go to church more, and then forget by the next week? How many times has a rooster crowed in my life? How many times? How many times? How many times? Now, we know the story. That we get in another gospel where Jesus asked Peter to take over his church. And what we don't get that resolution here. What we get left with is this open endedness of our own humanness. We as humans will deny. We as humans will fail. We will be blind and deaf to the systems of evil around us. We will be lame in our ability to do anything about it, we will miss the mark. But just as Peter does not drop dead at that moment of denial, we do not either. When confronted by the rooster's crowing, we are given an opportunity for repentance and healing. We are given an opportunity to change our story and embrace a different system. We are given the ability to give up on a system of slavery and choose a system of freedom." when the rooster crows, we are given an opportunity to break down in tears, to break down sobbing, but we are also given an opportunity to change. So when we are confronted with the sin and the systems of sin in this world, we are given an opportunity to repent and change. So when we are confronted with our own personal sin and worth, we are given an opportunity to repent and change. So when we are confronted with Jesus, in any form that we may not recognize, we are given an opportunity to repent and change. In the next sermon, we will go through the actual death of Christ, but I want to end here. Christ needed to die for our sins. There was atonement needed, but that is not all that Christ died for. Christ died to establish a new system for us to embrace, a system of the kingdom of God that sees people differently, a system that sees justice differently, a system that sees grace and forgiveness differently. And that we are confronted and what we are confronted with in this chapter is that if we can deny that system out of fear or self preservation, but we can also break down and sob and change and embrace a system and embrace a Christ and embrace who Christ called us to be. I make a confession now to you, my church, that I sometimes fail to live inside the created order that Christ has put in front of us, but I will spend my whole life trying to live inside it, even despite my failures. And I invite you to join me in that struggle. Amen. Also, as I continue to see COVID cases rise, I remind you, please, wash your hands.